human heart. And this morning I want to talk to you about dreams and visions because dreams and visions are the language of the Holy Spirit. Dreams and visions are the language of God. God gives us dreams and visions. We all have dreams and visions, most of us. Some of us don't. We'll talk about that this morning. But we all have those ideas. You know, that idea that pops into your head that you know that it's not possible for you to do, but it's only possible if God does it. A supernatural idea that you didn't think of, but God popped into your head. And those are the dreams and the visions that God wants to bring out in our lives and actually understanding that those are dreams and visions from God is the most important key to be able to live your life well because you want to live in what he has called you and enabled you to do. And there's a scripture in Proverbs, a well-known scripture, but I, I, I want to look at three different translations of that scripture because I think each translation brings out a different thought because I want to... I wanna, stir within you again dreams. I want to stir within you again visions for your life because it is the language of God. It says this in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, everyone say no vision, the people perish. He's not talking about a physical death here. What he's talking about is where there's no vision, where there's no dream for your life, where there's no vision for your life, you will perish. If you don't have a dream and a vision for your marriage, your marriage will perish. If you don't have a dream or a vision for your family, your family will perish. Not physically, but it just won't work. If you don't have a vision and a dream for your life, then you'll perish. Emotionally, you will just, because you'll get depressed, because you'll feel like, what, what's the point? Where there is no vision, we perish. Not physically, but emotionally, and all those things. It's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about hope dying, and aspirations dying, and emotions dying. There are, there are people that you know and I know, and, and I would call them the, the living dead. They're alive, but they're dead. You know, they're alive physically, but they're so dead on the inside. They're so dead to life. And all that's missing in all of those people is just a God dream. It's, it's a God dream that God's put on the inside of them that brings that hope and that desire and that passion for life. And hopefully today... If you don't have that or you've lost it, hopefully today you'll find out how you can get it back or how you can get it. In the NIV, it puts it this way, where there is no revelation. Everyone say, no revelation. People cast off restraint. In other words, they get a case of, who cares? Whatever. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. Have you ever, have you ever, I had employees like that. Ah, turn up to work if I feel like it. I don't know how they live because they've run out of sick days, they've run out of annual leave days and they're still having Monday and Friday-itis. It's that kind of whatever. It's just going through the motions of life. It's like, ah, I don't really have any say and life just happens and I just kind of whatever happens, happens. And You know, that's the worst place to ever be because that's a place where you're just surviving. It's survival mode. You're just trying to survive life. Yet God, when he created Adam and Eve, said, go forth and multiply and thrive and subdue. The You're meant to thrive and flourish in life, not survive in life. And I, I hope today that if that's you, that, that I'll say something this morning that will make you believe that you were created for significance, that you were created to do something, that you're not just here to survive, but that you're here 
to thrive. It says this in the, in the message version of the same scripture. It puts it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, in other words, when they attend to the dream that he places in their heart, they are most blessed. Most blessed. Isn't that cool? When they attend to the dream that God places in their heart, they are most blessed. That word blessed in the Hebrew means happy in your soul. When you attend to the dream that God places on the inside of you, you become happy in your soul. You see, soul contentment, the contentment of your mind, your will, and your emotions of your soul is found in doing things in life that actually matter. And if you don't have contentment in your soul, if you don't have a happiness of soul, then, then I want to help you this morning to get you dreaming again, to get you believing again for things. Because when I look back over my life, the points where I were at my best and the points where I've been at my worst is determined by how much dreaming and vision I've had in my life. When I have a lack of vision and a lack of dreams, in my life, I'm usually at my worst. Just ask my family. Okay, thought you might laugh at that, but obviously not. I get grumpy-itis, and it's not because I'm hangry. It's because I don't have a vision, and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. But when I'm full of vision and I'm full of dreams, I'm at my happiest. I'm at the mo my most playful I, I'm really good at cracking jokes. I'm the funniest person in my family. <laughs> the kids don't believe it, but it's true. Because I have vision in that on the inside of me. And so when you have no vision and no dream, you're not happy. When life is not going well, it's because there's a lack of vision and dream. And you need to understand something that that there's direct coalition between your ability to dream and have a vision that God has for your life and how your soul is, how much happiness there is on the inside of you. The word dream and the word health, the word dream and the word health in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in, the, the, those two words are, are virtually the same words. It means that they're that when the translators of the Bible put dream, they could have very easily put health because there's a coalition, and even psychologists will tell you today, there's a coalition between health and dreams, that the health of you and the health of your soul is directly connected to how much you dream and how much you have a vision for your life. Think about it. You can, you can get healthy again in your soul. You can get healthy again in your marriage. You can get healthy again in your family. You can get healthy again in your career. You can get healthy again in your emotions just by starting to dream the dreams of God again. Just by starting to dream and have a vision for your life because circumstances are not determining your happiness. Your happiness is not determined by circumstance. Your happiness is determined by dreaming. It's, it's having an ability to see what God sees, to have a dream for your life. That is what's determining your happiness, not what's happening in your marriage, not what's happening in your workplace, not what's happening in your finances. Circumstances don't direct your happiness. It's your ability to dream and have a vision for your life. 
that determines your happiness. Listen to this. It says this in Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, whenever you see the word Zion in the Old Testament, it's talking about the church. When the Lord restored the fortunes of the church, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues were songs of joy. When, when, when God restored us, we were like those that dreamed. We had laughter and joy and happiness in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, I don't know where you've come from or what's happened, but, but I want to ask you a question. Will you dream again? Will you, will you take the risk today of starting to dream again because God has so much more for you than what you currently have. I promise you that, that God has so much more for you than what you currently have. But here's the thing, there are five kinds of people with five different kinds of dreams and every person in this place fits into one of these categories. The first type of person is a person with no dream, no vision, no dream. I'm not trying to be mean or trying to be hurtful to you this morning, but chances are if there's no dream, then there's no connection to God. Because if dreams and visions are his language and you don't have one, there's a disconnection between you and him. In fact, let me put it this way. Let me say it this way. In Hebrews, it says this about having faith in God. It's very clear that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. If you don't have a vision or a dream for what you can't see and what you're hoping for, then friend, I'd question whether you even have faith in God. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, dreamed for, and the evidence of things unseen, the ability to have a vision for your life, not of of what God sees for your future. I know that sounds harsh, but it's just a reality. As soon as you have faith in your heart and you get close to God, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a great connection to God that won't tell you that the first thing that God does is he gives you a dream. In fact, the first thing God did when the church started in the book of Acts is he fulfilled a prophecy from the book of Joel 400 years earlier that said one day the Spirit of the Lord will be poured upon you and young men will dream dreams and old men will see visions. The very first thing he established in the, in the life of the church when the church started was the ability to dream and have visions. The very first thing that he did. This, and so dreaming and having visions is not something that others do. That's what we do. If we're followers of Christ... Because we have faith in him, and faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. That's what we do. We dream. We dream. We dream. Being called a dreamer is not an insult, it's a compliment. Come on. We dream. Because when we connect with God, we dream again. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't have a vision or a dream for your life, I... I, I don't know how else to put this, but please, please connect with him. Please reconnect with God. And sometimes the best way to hear God's voice is by turning down the volume of the world around you and getting yourself away on your own and disconnecting yourself from social media and TV. Don't bother watching the news. It's all a load of rubbish anyway. Get into his word and turn down the voice of the world and start turning up the voice of God 
in your life and you will find that you will start to dream again. In fact, Jeremiah promises this in chapter 33, verse 3. He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you. In other words, give you a dream of great and mighty things which you do not know. In other words, you can't see. Call to me and I'll answer you with dreams and vision for your life of stuff that you didn't know was possible for you to do. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that something you want to get your head around? And so God here in the scripture, he's begging us to come close, to connect with him so that he can put into us those dreams and those plans that he has. Once you get those dreams, once God starts giving you ideas, I encourage you, write them down so you don't forget them. The second kind of person is a person with a wrong dream. First person is a person with no dream. The second person is a person with a wrong dream. And when I say a wrong dream, I don't mean a nightmare. I just mean a wrong dream. It could possibly be a good thing, but it's not necessarily a God thing. Come on. Sometimes people allow themselves to dream about something that purely just has earthly pursuits and has nothing to do with God. And God's not against you pursuing these things. God's not against you pursuing a great career and pursuing having a nice house and car and great holidays overseas. Although the weather at the moment in New Zealand is is fantastic, so you don't really want to go anywhere. God's not against those things, but your motivation for them really does matter. I I want you to hear this this morning, that, that God has so much more for you than just stuff. He has so much more for you than just material things. I want you to experience the joy of knowing that the part you're playing is something significant that God is doing on the earth today. Acts 20 says this, however, this is Paul speaking, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. He's literally saying here, the greatest joy I've found in my life is doing what God asked me to do. The greatest joy I've found in my life is doing what God asked me to do. The greatest joy you'll find in your life is doing the things that God asked you to do. And there's nothing wrong with having great things. But if you want to turn those great things into a God dream, you just have to realize that you have all that stuff because God has given it to you. And the best thing that you could do is then rededicate all those things back to him. In other words, God, use my house for your kingdom. Use my car for your kingdom. Use my career for your kingdom. Use, you know, I was talking to a pastor in Waiuku who just brought a a house out there and and he's got 10 acres of land and the house is right smack in the middle. It's like 300 square meters of house. It's like he has to send out a search party. His wife has to send out a search party when it's tea time to try and find him. You know, dinner's at six, but she sends the kids out at four to try and find him because the house is so big. God, you're a tough crowd today. And he said this he said, Oh, we invited everybody from the church over to our house for a barbecue. They had like a hundred people rock up to their house for a barbecue. And I said, whoa, that's a lot of people. He goes, oh, yeah, but it didn't feel cramped because we've got all this space. And I go, it's awesome. He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm so excited that I said to my wife, we should do this every month. 
What does he understand? He understands this, that God has given him that house and he gets to enjoy it. He gets to sit there with his cup of coffee out on the deck area reading his Bible and there's just paddocks everywhere and it's peaceful and it's calm and it's a beautiful morning as the sun starts to rise over the hills. But he understands this, that God has given it to him to bless him, but also that he may bless others. It's not for himself, but it's for others as well. And Paul is saying this, he goes, you know, to have all this stuff is really, really cool, but, but to know that I used it for the purposes of God, that's what it's really all about. We only have what we have because God has so generously given it to us. And we just need to turn around and say, you know what, God, thank you for this. I'm going to enjoy this, but I'm going to give it back to you. Use my house, use my car, use my ideas, use my pool. Oh, it's a word of the Lord for some people out here this morning. Let's have a pool party at somebody's house whenever we're hot. Use whatever I have. In other words, God, I want to leverage the things that I have to build your kingdom, to bless people's lives. Daily surrender to his purposes is one of the healthiest ways for you to live your life. Daily surrender to his purposes is the healthiest way that you could live your life. You've got to make sure that the dream you're living out is not something that just works for yourself, but works for others as well. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And it says later on in the scripture, have the same mind as Christ. The same mind, the same intention. Enjoy your house, enjoy your car, enjoy all those great things. Just make sure that you use it for the kingdom. The third kind of person, the first one is someone with no dream. The second person is a person with the wrong dream. The third person is a person with a stale dream. A stale dream. It means that you had a dream once, but it's just gone stale. You had a really good God dream, but it's just gone stale. And usually, probably, what has happened is that things have happened or delays have happened or circumstances have happened that you didn't plan for or think were going to happen. And so the dream has just slowly died off to the point where it's barely alive. I think there are a lot of people with stale dreams. Because through a set of circumstances or problems that weren't your fault, maybe, maybe the plan didn't happen and so slowly but surely it's it's barely hanging in there. It's just dying out. And, and as I was praying about people that have that happening in their worlds, I felt like God saying he wants to blow again upon those dreams. He wants to breathe again upon those dreams. Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, can these bones live And he says, prophesy, breathe upon them. And as he prophesied over the dry bones, they raised up as a mighty army. And I believe that God, for some people towards the end of the service, God wants to breathe upon your stale dreams and see them come back into life again. The the smoldering ember, he will not snuff out. In fact, you get a smoldering ember, it looks like the fire is about to go, but you just get some breath on it. Have you ever done that? You know, get down there and you're like... Blowing on, getting the ember cranking, and before you know, woof, the fire comes away again. And I'm believing for you today that as God breathes upon that dream that has gone stale, that'll flicker back into life again. 
What I do know about a stale dream is that you don't go back into it casually. You don't just jump straight back into a stale dream and go, because there's some hurts there, there's some disappointments that are attached to that stale dream. And sometimes what you've got to do is you've got to do something radical to shift it out of the staleness. Something radical you could do would probably be prayer and fasting. Something that shifts, something that's crazy, that's radical, that shifts it out of its place to get it back. It says this, that, that in Tim, 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, it, it, it's, it's dying. Yes, stuff is happening. You're having trouble in the church with some people, and, and it's causing that fire to die. And I'm saying to you, Timothy, pay attention. Pay attention to that fire. Make sure that you're fanning it. Make sure you're doing something that keeps that fire burning, yeah? Keep it burning on the inside of you. It's time for you guys to get your dream back. Those that have a stale dream, it's time for you to get your dream back. Maybe you've been in the church and you've been in the faith and you've been following God for 30, 40, whatever years, a long time, and you just think, well, this is my thing. And, and my friend, it's time to get the dream back. I heard Christine Kane say this this week when I was listening to something that she was preaching about. She said, if you don't have a vision for taking your life forward, then you're not leading your life, you're just babysitting it. You're not leading your life, you're just babysitting it. Friend, you can't afford to babysit your life. God's got plans and purposes for you. It's got to be moving forward. It's got to be growing from strength to strength and glory to glory. If you're not growing, if you're the same person today that you were five years ago, friend, you're not leading your life, you're babysitting your life. Come on, man, we want to be people that lead our lives, yeah? We don't want to be people that sit back. God still wants to do something in your life. And for some of you, you might need to do something radical. Prayer and fasting, join up to a connect group, serve in a team in church, start tithing, something that will break you out of the stale place that you're in. That next person is somebody that has a vague dream. First one is no dream. Second one is a wrong dream. Third one is a stale dream. The fourth one is a vague dream. A vague dream is is a dream that you've had, but you've really spent no time thinking about how does that look and how does that work? I am the king of vague dreams. I have dreams like you wouldn't believe. Trinity will tell you. I have ideas like they're coming out of my ears. And she says to me, that's a really cool thing. How's that going to happen? No idea. But it's a great idea. For me to, to take something that I dreamed about and put it down on paper to a way that I can explain it is the hardest thing that I find to do. I find it so hard to do that. I'd rather just sit down with someone and, and talk to them about it. But you've got to sit down with that dream. You've got to be able to articulate it properly. You've got to write it down. In Habakkuk, it says this, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. In other words, if you, if you don't get it down, if you can't articulate the dream, if you don't get it down where people can see it and read it, no one can run with it. And sometimes, I know, even as a pastor, I get frustrated sometimes. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Because people can't read what's in your head, Craig. People can't read what's in your spirit. How can they run with what's in you if you don't put it down on paper so they can see it? 
How can your wife or your husband get the direction that your marriage, that you're dreaming, that it's going in if you don't sit down and communicate it? I learned really early on, and I still learn now, after 20, close to 26 years of marriage, I don't have a crystal ball around somewhere to understand my beautiful wife sometimes. All the men are going real quiet now. I wish I understood everything that she says, but I don't. And so she has to articulate to me, or I have to ask questions and say, when you say that, do you mean this? Because remember, we filter it for our own experiences, remember? So she may say one thing, but I hear something else. And I'll say to her, do you mean this? And she goes, no, I didn't mean that, I meant this. Oh, and so I ask questions because I want to understand what she is saying. How can people understand the direction that you're going if it's not clearly articulated to what you're doing? Yeah? Write it down, what he reveals to you. Can I encourage you? Get into the habit of writing down the things that God says to you. If you don't write it down, no one will be able to read it. And if no one can read it, you're not going to be able to run with it. You've got to get it down on paper. And then the fifth type of person is this. The first one is no dream. The second one is a wrong dream. The third one is a stale dream. The fourth one is a vague dream. And the last one is a God dream. And that's the kind of dream that we want to have. That's the kind of dream that we want to have. We want to have a God dream. And a God dream has several things in it. First of all, it's God honoring. It's, it's a dream that actually honors God. If it's a dream that you can do without his help, it's not a God dream. Because here's the problem. If I only do things that I can do, then it's all about me. Yeah? And I know me, and if it's about me, then I'll walk around puffed up in pride going, I did that. That was me. Over here at the table... You can get my signature. I'll sign posters for you. Get a couple of mug shots. It'll be all about me. Yes? Come on. It's ingrained in us, doesn't it? When our kids are little and they try to do a forward roll for the first time. And it's not forward. It's a sideways roll or it looks like something out of the pit of hell the way that they're trying to do a forward roll. What do you turn around and say to them? That was amazing. You did awesome. And what do they do? They get up. They've just done the worst forward roll in the history of the world. And they get up and go, I did that. That was me. Why? Because it's ingrained in us, isn't it? We want to be significant. The problem is when the significance comes about ourselves, it becomes prideful. When the significance comes about what God has done through us, and it's God honoring because we understand that without him it wouldn't happen, that's a good kind of dream. That's a good kind of thing to get up and celebrate. Man, has God been good to us. Isn't it amazing what God has done? Yes, we've worked hard, but God has done great things. And I understand this. If I kind of live my life, I pray like it completely depends on God, and I work like it completely depends on me. But I make sure at the end of the day that it's God-honoring, that it is impossible for it to happen without God. Because the reason why it has to be God-honoring so that you don't get puffed up is because there's going to come a day for you and for I 
There's going to come a day that we need to prepare for in our lives. There's, there's a day where we are going to die, and when we die, there's two judgments. There's not one judgment. Most people think there's just this judgment to find out whether Jesus knows us or not, and if Jesus knows us, then we can get into heaven. So most Christians come to Christ because it's fire insurance. Saves us from going to hell, but they don't realize that there's not just one judgment. It's not just, oh, okay, you know Jesus, you've accepted Jesus, so come on in. There, there is that judgment. There is that judgment where God is, wants to know if you know him as Lord and Savior. It's called the great white throne judgment. It's a judgment where you enter into heaven because Jesus paid the price for your sins and you decided to accept his forgiveness and his salvation and the work that he did on the cross for you. That, that, that's the white throne judgment. Also, I want you to understand that, that, that hell is not a place that God sends people to because he's mad at them. Hell is just a place where people pay for their own sins when they didn't have to. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by their own decisions when they didn't have to. That's judgment. But so many Christians don't realize that there's a second judgment because we don't talk about this in church very often because we don't like it very much. But there's a second judgment after the first judgment is about, are you saved? Do you know Christ? Have you accepted him as his Lord and Savior? The second judgment is what I would call as a Christian judgment. And it's a judgment that doesn't determine your eternal existence. It determines what your eternal existence is going to look like. It's called the judgment seat of Christ where he says, okay, you've accepted me as your Lord and Savior. Awesome. You're in heaven now. Welcome. Love you heaps. Now, let me ask you a question. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the gifts and the talents that I gave you? What did you do with Pukakoi? that I gave you? What did you do with the next generation that I gave you? What did you do with the marriage that I gave you? I gave you so many things. You can go on your phone now and have access to so many Bibles. It's unbelievable. What did you do with what I gave you? And here is the expectation when we read the scriptures is that God expects us to use our gifts and our talents to leverage off them to expand the kingdom of God and to do something for others and for our community so that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the Lord's rest. A God dream is that kind of dream where it's a dream that lives beyond our lives it's a dream that when God says, hey, you did everything I asked you to do with what I gave you, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a dream that is culture defined. In other words, it's a dream that's not afraid to stand up in the culture of the day and say, hey, I'm sorry, but this is not going to take place in my world. I'm making a stand on this. If you're not making a stand on abortion, then friend, you need to read your Bible. The Bible says that all of life is significant. And we have a government right now, and you need to be praying because it's not just about 
up this government. Any government around the world is trying to do this at the moment where they're trying to make it so that you can murder children while mum's in labor. I'm sorry, the Bible's very clear. Every life is created by him, by the creator. Oh, well, people get, get, get raped and all. It's 1% of the abortions that happen around the world is because of rape or incest. 99% is because of convenience. And it's wrong. And we shouldn't be okay with it. And we need to make a stand. And when you have a God dream, you make a stand that's culture-defined sometimes that people don't like sometimes. Now, we've got to communicate it well so that people don't feel judged because that's not our role. Our role is to help people see that Jesus can save them and forgive them and bless them and bring his grace and his mercy to them. But we can't sit back in silence because all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. A God dream is culture-defying. It's making a stand. We're not going to allow this on our watch. We're not going to let this happen. That's a culture-defying dream, a heaven-impacting dream. Why? Because we want to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's what we want to do. A dream that is focused on getting more people into heaven and out of hell. It will always be a dream that is seemingly impossible because it requires God help to make it happen. It keeps you on your knees because you know if he doesn't do something, then it's not going to happen. It's a great kind of dream to have because it keeps us focused on him and all that we do, but it changes lives and changes nations and changes worlds and changes families and communities. It's a God dream. In Mark 8, as I finish on this this morning, as the band comes, in Mark chapter 8, there's a story about a blind man and it says here that they came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat, spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And it says here, once more, everyone say once more. Jesus puts his hands on the man's eye and he saw everything clearly. There's a couple of interesting things in this story that I just want to pull out as we end this morning. The first one is this. I think it's interesting that they bring their friend who is blind and then tell Jesus what he should do to heal him. They brought the blind and said, touch him. And Jesus said, oh, I'm not touching him. They're like, come on, do the touch thing. No, no, it's not a touch it's not a touch thing kind of day. It's a spit in the eyes kind of day. So many people want a dream and then they tell God how the dream should happen. Hey God, I, I need a dream. I don't have a dream and this is how I want you to give it to me and this is what I want the dream to be about. No, no, if you want a God dream, it's not a, it's not a touch kind of day. It's a spit in your eye kind of day. Not that God's literally going to come and spit in your eye. If you're ever on an altar call and you've got your eyes closed and somebody's praying for you and you hear, just run. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, no, I'm, I'm not touching him. So he didn't touch him. And then he takes the blind man by the hand and he leads him outside of the village. Why? Because sometimes in order for God to speak to you, you have to change the environment you're currently in. 
He's like, man, I, I, I can't do this around these guys because they think it's a touch kind of day and it's not a touch kind of day. So I got to get him away from them so that I can do a spit in the eye kind of day because this is what he needs today. Some of you, you, you don't have the dream and you don't have vision because the crowd you're hanging around with will always restrict you from doing it. Those who walk with the wise grow wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Some of you got to get away from some of the environments that you're in so that you can get that God dream. Because the environment that you're in will always try to pull you back and restrict you and hold you. When he spat in the man's eye, then he touched him. Then he touched him. You see, they wanted him to touch the man first. You can imagine the reaction of people when he goes, just spits in the guy's eye. Could you imagine what you would do on Sunday if someone came out the front here and said, I'm blind, and all you heard me do is, you'd be like, you'd leave the church offended. You see, because these guys thought that there's a system to get God to move. You touch and then the system happens. We do that. Oh, because God did it like this in my past, God will do it like this in my future. No, no, no. He might have touched you in the past, but he might be wanting to do a spit in the eye day today. And you can't lock God into a system. Because if you lock him into a system, then it becomes about works. If I do this, this, and this, then God will do that. He doesn't want a system. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. And then he spits in the guy's eye and he says, do you see anything? Well, for starters, the guy's blind. And now you just put spit in my eye. I don't know about you, but even when I cry, I find it hard to see. I got this guy spit in my eye, and you're asking me, can I see? And the guy looked up and he said, I can see people that look like trees. Here's the thing that I don't think we see in the scripture sometimes is, if he was blind, how did he know what people looked like? I'll tell you why, because once he could see, and now he was blind. And once you had vision, but now you can't see it. You know what it looks like because you've experienced it in the past. But maybe things have happened in your life which has caused your dream to become blind. And then it goes on and it says this, that he said they look like trees. And it says once again, once again, once again. The most important words in this story, once more, once more. Once more, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and he saw everything clearly. Here's the cool thing about this story, is that we know that Jesus has the ability to heal people perfectly with one touch. But he prayed for the guy a second time. And I think that those words, once more, is the most critical words in the scripture because God is showing that he is willing even though he had no vision and even though you may have lost your vision even though you may not be able to see what you used to see that he's ready to give you a once more kind of experience that he's ready to come to your dream that he's ready to come to your vision once more and say hey let me touch you let me breathe upon that thing that has gone stuck 
stale. Let me breathe upon that thing that you've given up on. Once more, let me touch it. Uh, it looks, I, I can kind of see it a little bit as you'll be preaching this morning, Craig, and it, it's starting to come, you know, but it's a little bit blurry, and I kind of remember some of the dreams that I had, but I, I believe that God did this on purpose to show us that it's okay if things are a little bit blurry, because once more He came, once more He came in touch, and you may have had a dream that you let die time and time and time again, and, and, and nothing's really happened, you think that God has given up on you, but I'm here to tell you this morning that he's a once more kind of God, that he'll come once more to you one more time, and if you give up on it, he'll come again, and he'll come again, and he'll come again, because God did not create you to live in survival mode, but that you would flourish and fulfill all the things that he has planned for you, and he will come again, and he'll come again, and he'll come again until one day you'll see it clearly. Because he's a once more, a once more, a once more kind of God. And if you've been in church for a long time, especially you, and your vision has gone stale, I want to tell you this morning, he is a once more kind of God. He's once more. You've lost hope for your marriage. You've lost hope for your children. You've lost a vision of what it could be once more. He's a once more. He's a once more kind of God. Why don't you all close your eyes this morning?